May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. Welcome back to the Dominion Podcast. I am your beta host, Jeremy. I think we're all beta hosts yeah. tonight, aren't we? <laughs> Actually, we're we're flying beta tonight. We got three beta hosts. Uh, and what no comes alpha after host. beta? Is it gamma? Uh, kappa gamma. I don't know. One of those. Okay. Ka- Cappadocia. Cappadocia. That's it. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got uh, we got no Al tonight. Al is uh, well. We can't find him. We're just not not exactly sure mm. where to look for. He's him. He's gone on an adventure somewhere. But the show must go on, as they say in show business. So we're here. It's me, Jeremy, and Ben, and we got uh, Tristan, the the deer killer himself, in I, the in the house. Here I am, all my glory. Yeah. <laughs> the radiance is try not to overwhelm, overwhelm the audience. Yeah. yeah, do my best. If you could see the Shekinah here, folks, no, there are three types of glory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're we're gonna put a little pause on our series we were doing on uh, the study of uh, the doctrine of man, anthropology. We've uh, done the first two already: creation and fall. And when Al's back, we're gonna do uh, redemption. But I thought for tonight uh, we would talk a little bit about art. Uh, the arts, music, writing, uh, painting, and the three of us are all involved uh, with that in some degree or another, and hopefully we've got some interesting stuff to talk about. So I, I was listening to Francis Schaeffer's book this week, uh, Art in the Bible. I would commend that to anybody. Mm. It's it's two essays, so you could probably read it in an hour and a quarter or something. It's pretty small, but it gives you a really good jumping off point for how to how to view art as a Christian, how do we look at art and, and spirituality and that sort of thing? So I've just got some things I want to talk about uh, that uh, were kind of spurred on by reading that book. And, you know, modern art especially, the the kind of art that uh, the world is making right now is so um, empty. Uh, music especially, uh, you listen to the, the charts, you listen to the pop music, and there's really very little um, substance behind it. The same with the visual arts, you know. Mm. It's it's essentially just a, an attempt to shock or desecrate. Yeah. And so you get a lot of that um, motivation. And so often what happens is the Christians will back away from the whole scene mm-hmm. and just want to have nothing to do with it. Yeah, we do that a lot these days. Yeah, on all sorts of topics. Yeah, yeah it's just... Uh, it's almost part of back that. Back off and, and surrender that ground. Right. Right, and we really shouldn't because God is the ultimate creator, right? And we are to uh, mimic him in that way. Yeah, sub-creators, yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing I want to talk about is um, is that creative aspect of it. But we need to we need to engage art. We need to engage it uh, as a tool and just as uh, something that humans do. God created us with these urges, right? Urges for beauty, urges to uh, create things. I. I know you've you've got questions here. Could we kind of have a discussion about a definition of art? Are you, are you going to get to that? Uh, yeah, well, we we can start with that. Actually, yeah. that's and that's really helpful. Um, yeah, kind of. What are we doing in in art? So um, so you want it's to such know, a like, huge. Uh, I mean, every like any kind of self expression these days is is right. automatically kind of. Putting your, putting your messed up bed in an art gallery. Yeah, with the performance like, art especially is, is, is grotesque, yeah. Yeah, that's viewed as art. And it's basically up to the artist to say, this is art because I said it's art. Yeah. But there has to be we something more. We take the word for it, yeah. There has to be something more objective to it. Yeah. 
so I, I mean, I was thinking something like um, expressing beauty or articulating beauty. Yeah. Um, of course, then you, that's then, part of it for sure. Then you kind of, or giving expression mm-hmm. to what is objectively beautiful. Mm. Um, I have an idea. Yes. I've, uh, I was listening to him this past week and what struck me about this specific podcast, as he was, he was with Joe Boot and they were talking about art and they were comparing it. Um, their main point was that art needs to tell a story. Um, and as mm. artists, you need to be good storytellers. Mm. And that reminded me, you know, obviously we are living in uh, the greatest story, you know, every written that that being the gospel uh, going forth into all mm-hmm. you know, na- nations, tongues and tribes and being part of that story. But I think, um, yeah, if, if you tell, well, first of all, I think if your theology is bad as a Christian, then you're going to make bad art um, on a Christian, Christian level. Um, I think if you have a proper understanding of where we have come from, um, you know, how we have fallen short of God's glory, but also see the redemption side, then I think you're able to tell and either write, paint, uh, whatever it may be, a story that is somewhat, uh, you know, that reflects uh, the greater story. And I think that maybe ties into more how we're image bearers and how we mm-hmm. play that out. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Worldview world view is a crucial component. And that's what uh, Schaefer always hammer on you know he was so fed up with the kind of shallow trite cliched art that a lot of kind of christian artists were producing in his day and um and still uh, producing yeah and his his kind of pushback it it was it wasn't that the the meta narrative they were operating on uh was was bad it just it wasn't deep enough um yeah and some of them weren't even good artists to begin with. It's kind of yes. you get that sometimes about Christian art, right? It's kind of like they get a pass because they're Christian. Yeah, and, we do that with music too, Christian music, right. or even even music in in church, congregational singing. Uh, it's almost like, well, uh, you know, we're just doing this from the heart, and it doesn't have to be excellent. Yeah, I, yeah, and there's a lot of really terrible hymns that have kind of slipped in the back door. Um, and from, he walks with me. Yes, and I'm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Songs yeah. like that, little brown church in yeah. the veil. Yeah. <laughs> so there's an aspect of craft that that is a part of art as well. If we're talking about defining art, uh, I found it really helpful in Art in the Bible by Schaefer. He has uh, an evaluation of what is art, and he's got four points. And one thing that makes art is technical excellence. That's his first point. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, if there's no craft to it, then all you've got is an idea. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, Roger Scruton deals with this in a documentary he made called uh, Why Beauty Matters. It's on YouTube. It's a really good one-hour documentary. And he talks about how if you take away the skill of the craftsman, whether it's a painter or sculptor or even an author who's using language as uh, as his medium, if you take that away and just say, here's my art, it's, you know, it's a, uh, a piece of crap in a, in a, jar on a shelf and it's called an oak tree or something like that (laughs) you know something profound all you have is an idea staring into the soul or something it's not profound it's just an idea (laughs) and somebody might find something profound about it yeah but that's and and, that's not art yeah and you kind of uh are disqualified if you can't you're kind of seen as a kind of a, a base shallow oh you can't see the deeper meaning in that i remember one time i went to the uh local art gallery actually and this was a few years ago but 
one of the installations was a jar of jam that had been tipped over and there was just a spoon in it. And uh, I was given one of those kind of really profound sounding titles. And right. it, there's kind of that, um, that pressure, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, especially if you're with a group of, of, of self-professed highbrow uh, artists, right? It's kind of like, you don't want to be the odd man out and saying, well, the, the King has no clothes here, actually guys. Yeah. Like there's actually nothing going on here. It's like, um, the idea this is should be matched by the, do. by the, uh, the actual uh, output. Right. Right. You, you can't skimp on output and just, just kind of, that's kind of, um, well, it's not really honest. Right, yeah. it's just to hide behind. Oh, it's a, there's a big idea going on here, guys. Don't worry. No matter how crappy it looks, is yeah. it is it fair to say that art should be created so that it can be enjoyed by an audience, and that it, there is an element of I think, especially with poetry, the more you understand how poetry works, the more you can appreciate it. Um, but I think uh, when I mean when it comes to to everyday listening of music or movies, I think it ought to be created for an audience. Um, well, like I said before, it ought to be a good story or something that brings about a certain emotion that the vast majority can understand without having to mm-hmm. <laughs> to redefine your 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 soul um, by yeah. looking at a yeah. jam. And the elitizing of, of yeah. art is is just one of the most tragic things, right? Everyone right. should be able to appreciate uh, art or, or color uh, applied skillfully, put together uh, and yeah. expertly, right? And and communicating. Um, a, a a deep idea, and I'm not talking about like a philosophy course idea where you've got a bunch of jargon and terms. Yeah. Um, but like objectively beautiful, like uh, certainly natural themes following nature and mm-hmm. and obviously truth. Um, but that 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 is uh, able to be appropriated by should be able to be appropriated by anyone. Yeah. Um, whether you've taken four years at a, a, a liberal arts college or not, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've kind of, yeah. in our society of, well, if you're not an expert, you can't kind of enter into the enjoyment of this. Which is so weird because the whole premise is that anybody can be an artist as long as they say so and they have an idea. Yeah. Right? Which is, it's so backwards because they're on the one hand, they're saying art is nothing because anybody can do it. You can just sign a urinal and it's art. Or... Uh, but then, like you're saying, yeah, they they look down upon people that want to see something yeah. beautiful. They're, they're counting on you, like you really. It takes an uncommon mind to think of these things, right, though, right? right? They, they're kind of they position themselves where they're beyond critique. Um, it's kind of like, well, not everyone can think of these ideas, right? Right. I mean, maybe the execution is is flawed, but I mean, these ideas, man. Um, it's only a certain amount of people that can, can enter into this. But there is like, there is the elite that would take that position. But I think, like you said, Jeremy, there is the balances that, you know, everyone can't, I think everyone can do art, but I think to pursue artistry, I think it needs to have a specific goal and purpose and it needs to be done excellently. And I, the tricky part is defining, you know, I don't, I don't know if it should be up to the individual to define what is excellent or not. I think, Perhaps God lays it out already. Um, but I, I think the problem, especially in, in culture, as we look around, even with um, social media and Instagram and TikTok, is everyone wants to be a star. Um, everyone wants to, everyone thinks they have something that the world should see. And the truth is, there are a lot of things that people shouldn't, you know, not everyone has a gift right. necessarily that should be pressed upon every, in each and every soul. I don't know. 
Yeah. And I mean, in a sense, we're all made to make stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I've always pushed against the idea of the professional artist. Mm -hmm. Like I did music for a long time, uh, as a big part of my life. And a lot of the people I knew in that industry felt like if you had another job, you weren't the real yep, deal. Right, right. You're not the real deal because you have to go work mm -hmm. on Monday. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a time where, the, like, the work does get in the way if you're trying to be successful. The work yeah. can get in the way. But there's nothing wrong with uh, somebody who goes to a job and goes home and takes care of their kids and then stays up late to try and write a poem or write a song. Mm -hmm. Right. That's to me. That's that's more natural and honest than somebody who's just. Uh, you know, in their own head all day long, not actually out living life, not working uh, at at something productive. It doesn't guarantee that that's going to be good, though. No, it doesn't. I guess that's what I'm. No, it doesn't. That's for sure. No, but it's it's allowing for that category, right? Where we're in a professional kind of sphere. It's like those people don't count. It's like they may not count, but you you can't just write them off on the basis of well they they also have a life besides their their mm -hmm. chosen art form right yeah it's kind of yeah. allowing for that category you said something earlier Tristan that got me thinking that's about um it almost sounded like you were talking about art being pragmatic as as having a use like it's fulfilling a, a need mm -hmm. a, a need for beauty and that sort of thing in a sense it's quite useless Art, yeah. I mean, what's what's the use of a paint? What's the use of a Rembrandt hanging on the wall? But we all know instinctively that if you had one of those in your house and you got to look at it every day, mm -hmm. like your life would be improved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, there's there's something useless about it, but there's also something useful. And we're not pragmatists, so we don't just do stuff that has like a utilitarian uh, outcome. Mm -hmm. But we have to we have to understand that there are real uses to to music, to art, to poetry. It's, there's, there's something, there's needs that we have that can't be met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, yeah. Without and, it. Yeah. And it's kind of a, a, a result of our, our materialist oriented society where it's kind of like, what is this going to do for me? Uh, if I do this, if I go to an art gallery, if I listen to a song, if I, you know, write a poem, like, What's the immediate result of that? We've yeah. just been shaped by that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, reading poetry. I mean, I can't, I can't think of anything that the modern mind would find more obscure and irrelevant than reading through a book of poetry. Like what? That is such a waste of time, according to the modern mind, right? Right. Um, and it's this idea that what you, uh, if you can't taste and touch and quantify something then it's just not worth your time right, right. and it's 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 it betrays a profound impoverishment of soul hmm. right um you know we have been made to to be to be part of what it is to be human is to be nourished on beauty and not just beauty as a general kind of nebulous oh that's a beautiful sunset that's part of it but you know david longs uh, in one of his psalms, for his, his highest longings to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, mm. to inquire in His temple. That that's kind of everything. It's kind of we we can't even enter into that. We, we we've become so alienated. But it's kind of th that for David is is the arrival. That's the arrival right. of humanity to be able to to see the Lord in His beauty. 
Hmm. And um, it's just, I mean, it's no accident that all of our music and the majority of our art is so profoundly shallow, right? It's it's just, it's flowing out of just materialist, yeah. humanist, nihilist. You got nothing to build. You, got, you have nothing. You're just right? into club, right? Everything's just about kicking back, having fun. Yeah, yeah. And it is. Breakups, it, you know. Yeah, I know. It, it's just purely uh, eat and drink for tomorrow we die, right? Yeah. Um, and I've heard a few of the, I mean. Which is so depressing. It is. Like, I've I heard a few songs that, really, that are just so uh, they're just pushing that that nihilism, right? It's just like, man, just enjoy yourself because we're going to die and go out with a bang. And, uh, you know, this life is all you have, right? It's just so empty. Hmm. So you can't really recover, kind of going back, you can't really recover art, good art, until you recover, and Tristan, you were saying, the the story, the meta right. that what that's true, right? If you're not immersed uh, in that... Yeah, and in what 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 God reveals to us as objective reality, what is true, well then you can't go about creating any kind of art that's going to be that's going to speak to anyone, right? Right. This is why modern movies are so horrible. Generally, they've lost the idea of like the hero. Yeah, we Um, have the anti-hero now. It's the anti-hero, right? And you kind of hate him because he's usually an idiot, or she's usually an idiot, and. I watched, I rewatched a movie last week, uh, V for Vendetta. Oh, yeah. It's a great movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was kind of eerie seeing what was happening, but yeah. it's like the good guy dies. I mean, he's, he's, he, I guess you could argue whether he's the good guy. Yeah, but, he's but, kind of an antihero too. He is, but but there's that there's that laying down of the life right. to, to, to win. Right. right. And uh, somebody pointed this out to me in a lot of like Asian films, like, I don't know, Seven Samurai. I don't know if you've seen that or. Is that with uh, Keanu? No. Oh, okay. No, it's, um, it's a, he's a classic Japanese director. Oh, okay. I forget his name. But it's like the, the heroes generally die right. in these, in these epic movies. Mm-hmm. And it's like that in, uh, it's like that in scripture, right? I mean, Jesus is mm. the, he's the hero of, of the story and he dies, but that's not the end of the story. We know, right? Um. Yeah. Sorry to get back to to Schaefer's criteria here. This is this is really great. I like where I like where we're going with this. Uh, so he he said art has to have four qualities: technical excellence, uh, validity, content, and integration of the content in the medium. So what what he means by validity is is the artist working from an honest place, or is it you know is it just a uh, striving after fame and money, or is he making something that is true to themselves? Right. Um, content is basically is is the content that you're doing true to a true worldview. Are you in line with the truth of God's world? And then his integration of content and medium is the medium you're using um, cohesive with the message. And we were talking about this beforehand, but uh, there there are some forms of art that we see that it would be impossible to picture the Christian story coming through that Christian meta narrative. Like how would you portray that with some forms of modern art? Mm-hmm. There's like, um, they, it just could, it shouldn't be done. Right. Because the, the medium and the, the vehicle that you're using is anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I was, uh, I was watching a, a, a thesis defense re- recently, actually of, a that sounds fun. of an individual who had just, well, uh, her thesis was basically um, uh, looking at World War poetry 
and kind of okay. the 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 disparity between the national kind of narrative, you know, uh, let's go boys, fight for your country, right. um, you know, kind of that hurrah, the raw, bravado, yeah, and then style, and, yeah. and kind of poetry on the ground of, mm-hmm. of guys who are in the midst of it, and and uh, it, it's just nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. The nightmare material and the poetry reflected that kind of the poetry of the state versus the poetry on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. It was fascinating, but one of the and and all the um, the uh, adjudicators were were very impressed by this defense, right? Mm-hmm. They were they were kind of all saying like it's not we're not used to kind of being able to engage with this caliber of of uh, of defense, right? I, f- I felt kind of proud of her, but um, yeah. um, what what one what one of their critiques was um, because the the individual who was making the, f- the defense was saying that uh, poetry was kind of um, uh, a, a uniquely potent medium to express the horrors hmm. and kind of the the profound kind of tragedy, right? Uh, and and they were all kind of saying, like, they didn't say it like this, but how dare you prefer <laughs> poetry? Uh, 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 you know why not? Why not theater? Uh, uh, you know or, or film or, or kind of various, uh, prose mediums. Right. Right. But there is something I'm just, I was just thinking of that in, in light of your last, uh, Schaefer's last criteria, the, uh, um, how well a communicator has matched her medium to the idea she was to express. And it struck me that, I mean, the, the person who's doing the defense was kind of very generous in, in kind of allowing, I was like, well, you could push that though. Right. There's something about poetry mm-hmm. uh, and we're all kind of um, like I think trying to trying to get into it and grapple with it but it's we're not used to it so it's it's difficult but poetry does communicate something that um, those other mediums can't really mm-hmm. and, and 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 there is something very important about really um, matching the the medium to the message mm-hmm. uh that that is an important thing and i and i think something that really doesn't get enough um airtime i was watching something with uh krista this week we were watching uh on youtube a little clip about uh picasso's guernica mm. do you know that painting no it's that it's got to be like 40 feet long it's a war painting from the spanish civil war mm. it's his famous like cubist like everybody's eyes are all messed up and yeah weird, and there's body parts everywhere because yeah. there's explosions going on right and the the person narrating was talking about um you know this this character in the in the story they're stretched out because of the and just sort of describing why they're deformed but there was something jarring about it to me because i'm like the whole medium like his whole painting style is disjointed yeah and i guess that was the point but i just i was wondering if you had some thoughts on that because there's there's lots of mediums and forms of art that I find like philosophically repugnant. Yes, but I can still sort of get something out of them, right? Because they're kind of legitimate. There's like a, yeah, a and correspondence I mean, he, there. He is describing the horrors of war. Yeah, but it's but his almost, medium is 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 somehow uh, it's, it's unfit, right, for that kind of thing, right? Right, and that's. That that embodies so much of modern art. It's like it doesn't have order. You know, it doesn't have. Yeah, God is a god of order, and when we or, 
muddy it up or try to mm. create our own version of order, then it's always distorted. or it's grotesquely orderly. I don't know whether if any of you guys have watched John Cage, um, yeah, and, and kind of hit, whether you've walked his watched his kind of uh, I'm going to call it a performance of Water Walk, and it's basically he's got everything down to the the millisecond, um, and he has a variety of noise making apparatuses. Um, from, you know, dropping something in a bathtub and there's a rubber duck and there's like a kettle going off and he's banging a pan and it's just, Mm -hmm. um, so there's that kind of grotesque, uh, it's down to the, and everything's timed right down to the the second, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what's that form called? Music, um, it was a French. Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. There's a whole movement. Yeah. Uh, where it was like, uh, you would, you would start with noises and we get more and more disorderly as it went along yeah and, and that may have been part of it it's just like whatever you're trying to communicate i mean it's it's entertaining you can't help but laugh when you're you're watching this guy right but again the uh and it kind of reflects the disjointedness of the modern worldview right it, 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 you can't explain things from a purely empirical uh perspective right like we are not we are not just matter in motion we're not just a uh you know um the bone and 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 nerve and and muscle right it's the spiritual is is a crucial component of what makes us human mm-hmm. and if you completely ignore that element and your expression of art you're only telling half the story and right. you're going to get unbeautiful things I, I used to subscribe to uh, an art magazine uh, juxtapose and there were some artists in there that it's just I wanted to see what was being produced, and and you'd have kind of photorealism and and stuff like that. But a lot of it was just so ugly. Again, mm-hmm. it was just it was the shock factor. It was uh, you know just morbid representations of of humans and and torture and stuff. It's just like this is. And Schaefer would always argue, you, yeah. you you get art that's downstream from a worldview, yeah, right? Exactly. And that's and that's and just he talks about Cage in in how should we then yeah, live quite yes, a bit. Yeah, he was very um, much uh, opposed it, to kind of the worldview he's communicating. I feel like that's not that's nothing new though. Um, you look at the Renaissance, like the paintings were perfect. It's like humans were God, and so you have no flaws. You have perfect faces. You have. Um, from what I understand, they always were painted with big hands to represent um, the glory of man or power. Mm. And then you get to the Reformation and everyone's not necessarily ugly, but everyone's exactly how they look. And there's no, there's no candid camera. It's like, I feel like the, in the Reformation period, they had a better understanding uh, that being that human nature being broken um, and not, you know, not trying to fix that necessarily, but just presenting as it is. So I feel like culturally that will always be there. Um, um, so I, I think there there needs to be a push for the better art and all um, you know avenues of history. And there is, I think, it definitely seems to go up and down more than others, depending on when that is. But mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Hmm. Uh, maybe we can get now to you know what's the Christian view of this? Like how do we mm. how do we rescue it? Uh, what are some of the things we come up against in the Christian community? So um, I, I've been thinking, I feel like a lot of Christian, <laughs> like I don't want to call it Christian art per se, but let's say uh, movies made by Christians. They're usually 99% horrible. Um, I haven't seen a ton, but from the ones I've seen, it's just, you just, you know, you know, before you're going to watch it, like there's been, there's been some newer ones out there, like following the stories like of Esther. And I know there's a couple of good ones, but I think, 
I was trying to think it through. I think the problem that a lot of Christians fall into is that they present art like a gospel track. Um, right. And everything they do, it's, it's either pure gospel message, repent and believe, or it's not art. Everything's a polemic. Ex- yeah, exactly. Mm, yeah. Um, and the only people who, um, divulge in that or watch that or are Christians. You, you're not going to get a, a mainstream person or a secular person. Oh, I'm, we're going to watch a nice Christian movie tonight. It's like the support yeah. only comes from yeah. evangelicals who are stuck in this category. And it doesn't, for one thing, it doesn't cause the producers um, to strive for better because they already have that guaranteed audience. Yeah. It's always going to be there. Which is why CanCon is a bad idea. Just CanCon? Yeah. What's that? CanCon? Uh-huh. My Canadian young. content. Oh, so our sorry, we're getting off track here. But the Canadian government says there has to be X amount of Canadian content right. on Canadian airwaves, be it TV or radio. Interesting. And so um, they have to find it, right? Whether it's good or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> we met our quota. Don't yeah. get mad. It's at actually us. <laughs> it's actually really true, especially because um, there is a Christian uh, streaming service. Uh, I forget what it's called. Just got bought by Sony. Um, and the problem is every streaming service that comes comes forward, it it immediately once it gains any traction, you know, Christian the Christian industry makes a lot of money, but it has a guaranteed audience every yeah. time. That's why. Um, so, so example, you have a, a streaming platform that's quote unquote Christian, um, and then uh, Sony buys it, and then all of a sudden the powers that were existed for those producers creating art is stripped out of their hands. They have to just do what they're told now. Um, Whereas uh, I was listening, there's a newer streaming service coming out uh, called, ah, dang, I forget it. Um, oh, Lore. Should, Lore. Should, oh, Lore, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lore TV. Yeah, so yeah. the the, inf- the uh, emphasis on that is actually to give uh, complete control into the producer, producers and, and to be able to support them uh, financially, you know, the people you see who are creating good art. And the goal isn't, the, the goal is, like I said before, is to tell a story that um, that hints towards um, all of us being image bearers, and whether you're in Christ or not, we all have, you know, C.S. Lewis often alludes to that, um, the kind of the inescapable longing of beauty um, that not necessarily everyone can describe, especially on one side of, um, of repentance. Um, but I think um, where, where Christians fall mainly is they're stuck in the category of it has to be pure Christian that's got to check all the boxes and if it's not then it's not yeah. it's not faithful yeah it's not yeah. faithful and I think that's a tragic um, yeah it's a tragedy <laughs> and it actually it ironically does a disservice to what they're trying to do yeah it's like you're trying to communicate a beautiful story a, a, the beautiful story of the gospel uh, of redemption but you just settle for these shoddy yeah. mediums and and you don't spend so much time on the execution and there's nothing about what you're doing that is compelling anyone right um we want people to be eventually confronted with or, or confronted and and one to or offended by the 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 message of the gospel but if they're uh, appalled by the medium it's being communicated mm-hmm. in well they're not going to get to that point right yeah yeah definitely um, I was I was reading uh, some of the Old Testament passages about the tabernacle and the temple, mm-hmm. uh, and Schaefer quotes a lot of those in his in the book. Um, 
and it's about the the excellence of the artwork that went into it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it mattered. It mattered, and it was like go get was it Bezalel? Bezalel, yeah, and Aholiab, and the artisans. Like these were like the top guys. Go get them, give them whatever they need, and tell them to make it like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so some of the some of the examples of that that work were um, the the garments for the priests were meant to be uh, beautiful. Right, they weren't just it. Were, it wasn't just here's a garment for your priest, so everybody knows you're a priest. Yeah, lots of purple, blue, and red, yeah. and, and yeah. ornate designs. Yes, yeah. and those are expensive, beautiful mm-hmm. fabrics. And the point was for beauty. It it's explicitly says that in uh, Exodus twenty eight two garments for beauty. Uh, there were images of cherubim uh, in the in the tabernacle, uh, in in the I believe it was in the curtains in the in the walls, mm-hmm. and those were also of the multicolored fabrics. So there's representational art right there. Uh, the pomegranates that were hanging on the robes of the priest were of different colors and colors that they aren't in nature too. Which Did you look at, uh, there are pomegranates all over the place in the temple. What is the significance of pomegranates? I don't know if you came upon that, uh, came across that while you were looking at it, but. Um, Song of Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all comes back to the Song of Solomon. Tristan's always bringing up Song of Solomon. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful. <laughs> Well, that's that's we can get to that in a second, but um, I do like the song of Solomon for Who a number yeah. of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. Is that what you so, were doing no, your I, devotional with the kids earlier? That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just wondered if there was uh, any any significance to the fruit. I've that heard fruit. I've heard Glenn Sunshine say that the rabbinic tradition is that the pomegranate uh, represents eternity. Interesting. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't think that's that's coming from any biblical. Yeah, I'm just like, was that you getting that from somewhere? No. I just find it fascinating. It's always the pomegranates. There's lots of but, seeds inside. You know, there's never there was, end. There yeah, was, there was, <laughs> and I'm almond. sure they allude to the the generations of Abraham and oh yeah, the bloodline blood. yeah, for the right. red red color. Yeah, right. but they were meant to be blue and scarlet yeah. and purple, uh, and they're not. You know, you've seen a pomegranate. They're not blue in nature. Yeah. yeah. So you've got representational art that's mm-hmm. sort of abstract, kind of, hmm. uh, but it's still representing something beautiful. There was images of uh, the bulls that were in the temple that were holding up the, the sea, the bronze sea. Yeah. Um, what else? There was something else. Uh, oh, the, 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 the uh, almond blossoms on the menorah. Right. Uh, which represents the tree of life, right? The, the whole menorah yeah. is the symbol of, the, I mean, the, the whole temple was meant to be uh, 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 throwback to the Garden of Eden. That's right. You're yeah. on the mountain of God. The Eden was on a mountain. You've got the rivers flowing out. Yep. You've got the 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 Holy of Holies. You've got the tree. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's all this representational art in the temple itself. And so clearly God wants good art. I mean, uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, they were, it says they were filled with the Spirit mm-hmm. to do their work. Yeah. Uh, and that that's like some, one of the earliest references to that. Apart from, apart from, uh, is it the, uh, the, the, was it the 70 people in uh, the wilderness that were filled with the spirit to go out and do mm. the judging? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very early on in the story. So yeah, we have to do it well. Um, and not just, you know, footprints on the bathroom wall yeah. to, to make people think about precious, Jesus. When precious moments. Precious moments, right? But again, uh, even, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up in the temple. It's it's connected to a larger st- story. Yes. The elements so, yeah. aren't just a, a, a pure arbitrary decision on behalf of the artist. It's like, yeah. um, uh, you now, know, I don't have you were able to work within your skill, but yeah. there's a structure they're working from within. 
yeah, as well, right? Which I think is important, especially in an age of of untethered individual expression, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if it if it comes out of you, then it must be worth. It's like mm-hmm. no, we would say that 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 uh, beauty is 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 represented within already structures of it beauty, has to right? be constrained by yeah the yeah, real parameters world. yeah, yeah. Reality. just just like we wouldn't let anything else come out of us and say well that's just came out of me mm-hmm. you know the language we use or any okay. anything else it's like that's you know that's a that's a way to that's the way to hell right like if you can't harness your tongue yeah harness your language. there's a way that seems right to a yeah man, then it leads you to can't death. Say, like, well, it just came out naturally yeah so it must be good that's right right seems fine it seems fine yeah <laughs> that's, that's a legit yeah yeah I guess that's what I was kind of alluding to at first. Um, and the struggle is, yeah, uh, I, when we were talking about, you know, you you always kind of pushed against the idea of being, uh, would you say, like a, a professional artist? Is that what you yeah, said? Sure. Expertise. Um, but like that being said, like we just talked about, there still has to be... Um, Professionalism. Yeah, there has to be evidence or of a experts. skill. Yes, um, the presence of experts is a good thing. So, yeah. uh, But I think the difference is, so for example... Um, my wife can make our home. Uh, when I walk in the door, I smell, you know, fresh bread. Um, mm. I see the table laid out with beautiful flowers from the garden. Um, now I noticed there was no fresh bread waiting I for know. me when I arrived. Last time you guys ate, ate it all. So we, you know, oh man! Yeah, we're not doing that again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so in that sense, we can all create beautiful things, um, and they, you know, they can be enjoyed by a small or large audience. Um, I. And there, but is, is there a distinction then? Like, I think there is an essence of professionalism where you see a gift and a skill and you pursue it. Um, but there is another side of art where it's, mm. you know, it's just, it's living beautifully because, yes. you know, I, I don't know that. Yeah, no, no. I think that's a really good point. I mean, there's, there, there's a, there's a place for a continuum or, or degrees yes. as far as, uh, uh, expression of beauty, right? Because, because, uh, you know, your wife's flower arrangement, wouldn't necessarily be put in a, in a gallery. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it's uh, invalid as an expression of beauty, right? So yeah. we allow we allow for that. We allow for a degrees of, of. Or think of this: when I when I came over tonight, you were teaching your kids from scripture. That doesn't mean you're going to be, mm-hmm. you know, John Preach. MacArthur in front of thousands of people, yeah. right? We all have uh, similar callings on different scales, right. yeah. And so the calling to art is, you know. I think I think there's there's something there for everybody to do. That's right. Something and, and, beautiful, something whether it's even just writing a tune or yeah. making making a, a drawing. I mean, it doesn't. Again, this is where I, this is sort of where I'm pushing against that. You, if you're going to do it, you have to do it full time, right? And you have to be, you know, popular, or else it's it's not legitimate. And I I've never really understood that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now um, we should always be, and Christians have historically been pushing the limits uh not on not on shocking people mm. but pushing the limits of mediums right i mean right. great painters i mean we uh they were professionals and they were experts oh, yeah. and and they definitely pushed art to boundaries where it couldn't have gone otherwise and so we definitely allow for a category of, uh, of that right and we and we you want to go as far as you're able to go and, and your and your medium. But the beauty of, of the gospel story is that a simple flower arrangement um, can be far more beautiful than a lot of the modern art garbage, right? It's yeah. it's it's operating according to to truth. Yeah. It, it's interesting how 
art influences. Uh, I, I was listening to this today, and they're talking about how liberalism, um, when a story is told from a certain bent or perspective, say like the left side, especially when it comes to to movie and film, you push a narrative for so long, and and it inevitably becomes. And I can't say that word inevitably. Inevitable. Thank you. Inevitable. That's great. Yeah. And it becomes law. So, for example, um, the homosexual narrative um, was pressed has been pressed for so many years that eventually it normalizes it, um, and then and eventually it becomes well. You know, I've been watching this for how many extra many years? It seems fine. Oh, it's law. Okay. Um, and I thought it, the reason why I bring that up is it's interesting how um, persuasive is the wrong word, but how influential. Art can be if done well. If it if it's done one way, it can be for for God's glory or not. Right. Um, and I think you know through history we have seen like through the Reformation we've seen periods of um, my history isn't great, but periods of like you said uh, artists producing incredible work yeah, and recovery. being on the mainstream and everyone knowing about it and applauding it. Hmm. Um, I think. Like, um, yeah. Sorry to jump in. No, sorry. Pelagian uh, Pelagius. One of his big strengths was song writing. He wrote songs hmm. about his heresy. Same with Arius. Or not, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. I think of. it's Arius, okay, yeah. Arius. And that, that was one of the reasons it spread so far. Yeah, he, he made just, like little jingles and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, just on that particular topic of homosexuality and, and law and things, like, would that legal decision have come down without will and grace and modern family? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Right? Like yeah. that's, oh, you see it on TV, it must yep. be fine. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah, story is powerful. And that's why I think that's why you need Christians flooding um, the mainstream. Like I don't think we necessarily need to label everything Christian. Um, we need to just be image bearers in the world, using our gifts in whatever way God blesses that. But I think that's how you know the whole idea of dominion. You know of of um, you know from sea to sea is that we we try as as lights do. Uh, we don't hide in the darkness. We, we actually try to go forth and influence culture and influence, um, you know, everything. And it ought to influence everything. And I think maybe as a result of a lot of this uh, fast decline that we see is perhaps a result of, well, of Christians just being quiet and not not be willing to put themselves out there, but also to stand for what is beautiful and true. Right. And, yeah. Backing out of culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've come full circle. That's kind of what we started on, is that... Uh Christians back. We weren't even intending to draw a circle, and here Man. we are. It's just the, the spirit must have <laughs> been leading. And you were worried we would have nothing to talk about. You know, who knew we had so much hot air in us? <laughs> the spirit of Alex is upon. No. Oh, that's right. Well, somebody had to fill the seat. I guess that's right. we're not standing in shoes or anything like yeah. that. So we've actually got some poetry and some good stuff to read here. So you you got uh, well some Wendell Berry there. For the beautiful yeah. section? You're going to sing um, a passage, Ben? I'm not going to sing. No, that's too bad. Although I have been practicing my uh, my yodeling techniques lately. Maybe you could I might yodel this poem. You could keep that for later, actually. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't really even know enough about poetry to really offer any critique or illumination. So I'm just going to read one of them. Uh, Wendell Berry, is, he's a spiritual individual. And, and I think I think he might be a Christian. He's one of the um, I walk through nature rather than going to church right, kind of people. Right. So there's a, but uh, he he does do a lot of poems kind of on biblical themes 
Um, this is, what is it? it's just a, uh, okay. There's no title to this, but he says to sit and look at light filled leaves may let us see or seem to see far backward as through clearer eyes to what unsighted hope believes the blessed conviviality that sang creation's seventh sunrise time when the maker's radiant sight made radiant everything he saw and everything he saw was filled with perfect joy and life and light his perfect pleasure was soul law his perfect pleasure was soul law no pleasure had become self-willed for all his creatures were his pleasures and their whole pleasure was to be what he made them they sought no gain or growth beyond their proper measures nor longed for change or novelty the only new thing could be pain so kind of the um hmm. uh cliffhanger there yeah but um he does a lot with with light which seems to be um uh again if we're going back to to stories that is light and darkness is just a right. central three, uh, theme of scripture so any kind of poetry or medium that poetry or medium that deals with themes of light and darkness i find automatically is is compelling right. in that way hmm. yeah there's a lot in there you could really there's chew, a lot of poems in here yeah he he does a lot of poems on on farming uh, he he's just a farmer like a poet farmer hmm. Uh, and again, back to the expertise things. I think that's what what gives his poem so much substance. Yeah, and uh, and kind of earthiness. I mean, he's just a farmer, like not just, but he is a farmer, right? And he's got he's drawing in all these images. Well, when you're actually dealing with God's creation with yep. your hands every yeah, day, you can't escape yeah. the story, right? Yeah. You're living in it every day. Yeah, hmm. that's good. I'm gonna have to read some of that. I've got something for the good section. I don't know if I've recommended this book on here before, but it's called A Pastor's Sketches or Conversations with Anxious Inquirers Respecting the Way of Salvation. Man, they used to know how to write snappy titles. Ichabod S. Spencer. (laughs) Only an Ichabod could generate a title like that. (laughs) Who names their kid Ichabod? It must have been one of the... Maybe it was like... The, the 1900s John, right? Right. It's just right. everyone was an Ichabod. It's one of those weird Puritan names like Cotton or... Yeah. Just, Praise God, Bare Bones or something yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so this is this is a book written by a pastor in New York in, the, I believe, the 1800s, detailing his conversations that he's having with members of his, I guess not members of his congregation, but people in his parish. He's a Presbyterian uh, pastor. So he's going around and he's evangelizing and encouraging people and he writes down his encounters with them. And it's uh, it'd be great if you were a pastor and you needed to learn how to counsel people. But it's also really helpful for anybody doing evangelism or apologetics. You get a real feel for how to get to the heart of the matter. If you're dealing with somebody and they're putting up a front or whatever, he just cuts through it every time. And so this one, I'm just going to read a portion of this one from uh, one of them called The Unpardonable Sin, and it's his interaction with a woman who believes she's committed the unpardonable sin and therefore can't repent. And that's her, her excuse for not repenting. So it's a little bit of a passage here, but I'll, I'll get going. During the whole of one summer, a young woman of respectable family and of religious education was accustomed to send for me from time to time for religious conversation. She had no hope, and her mind was uniformly gloomy. She appeared peculiarly desponding, 
Time after time, as I visited her, I endeavored, as plainly as possible, to enfold the divine promises and the fullness of Christ to meet all the possible wants of sinners who will believe in him. Still, she remained as sad and downcast as ever. Her most common topic was the magnitude of her sins. She was such a sinner that there was no mercy for her. Repeatedly, I showed the error of this notion by the clear declarations of the Bible and by the nature of salvation procured by the great Savior, and most urgently pressed upon her the instant duty of hearing the gospel call to repent and trust in Jesus Christ while the Holy Spirit was striving with her. I assured her that no sinner need be lost because his sins are so great since, quote, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth from all sin, and if a sinner perishes, he must perish because he does not repent and believe, not because the merit of Christ is insufficient to reach the extent of his guilt, and not because Christ is not, has not freely offered to him in the full sincerity and full friendliness of God. One day, as I was urging this point and entreating her to be reconciled to God, yielding her heart to the persuasions of the Holy Spirit, she said to me, I believe I have committed the unpardonable sin. What makes you think so, said I. Why, I feel so, said she, hesitatingly. What makes you feel so? The Lord would have forgiven me before this time, if there was any forgiveness for me. Before this time, what do you mean? Why, I have been a great while seeking religion. And because you have been so long seeking it, you think it is no present fault of yours that you have not found it? But God will not forgive you because months ago you committed the unpardonable sin. Is that what you mean? Yes, sir. Very well, said I. I suppose you want nothing more of me if you are unpardonable. I can do nothing for you. If that is the case, I may as well leave you. You may go to your closet and tell God as you kneel before him that you are willing to repent, that you are willing to trust in Christ and willing to obey God in all things, and that it is no fault of yours that you cannot be a Christian. Tell him that the only thing now in the way of your salvation is that old unpardonable sin which he will not forgive. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, wow. And That's so he leaves. Yeah. And uh, most of these uh, accounts, he comes back. And so it's multiple visits. Yes. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. And so he comes back and she ends up seeing the error of her way. But we don't think, you know, if somebody, as a pastor, somebody came to you and said, I committed the unpardonable sin, your yeah. first instinct would be to console That's them right. or something like that. Yeah. But not. Yeah. Not to, not to, not see if your that, name's Ichabod. Yeah. No, he sees <laughs> that she's using it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. You know, she's so self righteous that she yeah. thinks she's such a great sinner that, you know, anyway, and it goes on and, uh, and it has a good outcome. I'll, yeah. I'll leave that with That's you. a great way to do it, though, to kind of like ask those questions yeah. to kind of get them thinking themselves, right? Oh, that actually, to come to the conclusion on themselves. So it's so not it's your fault ridiculous. that you haven't repented, it's because yeah. God won't forgive you. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Hey, Tristan, you want to hit that second blue button up there? Sure can. Yeah. Bring on the loons. Thanks so much for being with us tonight, despite the uh, lack of our alpha host. We got through it. We'll get through it, and hopefully we'll be back with him next time on the Dominion Podcast. Podcast.